Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. At some point in your career as a marketer, you've probably executed a survey where you ask respondents a number of questions and you want to find out what fraction of respondents answer each of those questions in a certain way to get kind of the prevailing feeling of the crowd. And that's quantitative research. So you can kind of tell what trends are. But if you really want to know why people do what they do, how they feel about something, or even how they execute a workflow to accomplish a task, that's qualitative research. I've had a little bit of experience with this, but I was curious to find out how those results are obtained. How do you figure out who you need to talk to and how do you do it right to get usable insights? And that's the topic of today's podcast. Before we start, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences, the ACPLS, is having the annual meeting in Philly on October 19th to the 21st. You can save $350 if you register by September 15th. The price goes up this Friday, the 16th. And we have some exciting keynotes, really helpful skill development, and fabulous networking opportunities uh, to meet with your peers. So go to acp-ls.org slash annual dash meeting. Check it out. Now, let's jump into qualitative research. Today, I'm speaking with Ilana Drucker. Ilana is the president and founder of Scorpio Research, a strategy firm that specializes in qualitative research. Ilana, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks so much, Chris, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me to be part. I'm excited about this one. I think it's going to be great because, um, of course, I know a little bit about qualitative research, but never talked to anyone whose sole focus was this kind of research. And I'm anxious to hear um, hear how it's done. So, first of all, what is what is the goal? What types of information are in or insights are companies looking for when they come to someone like you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question, Chris. I I just want to back it up for a moment and define. What is qualitative research and um, differentiate it from quantitative, if that's okay? Absolutely. Great. So qualitative research is really a form of applied research. And in this case, we're applying it to, uh, you know, to the marketplace um, and to life science in specific, which is an area in which we specialize. So unlike quantitative research, which is based on numbers, it's structured and it's generally fixed in terms of the responses, qualitative research is exploratory. It's subjective in nature, it's either unstructured or semi-structured, and it seeks holistic understanding. So quantitative research is more about how many, how much, with a close-ended or a fixed response, and qualitative is really um, geared toward answering underlying hows and whys that might stand behind numbers. Okay, so qualitative research, um, a little bit of, of, of context from our perspective at, at Scorpio is that it's both an art as well as a science. So qualitative research um, is rooted in the social science, thereby making it uh, you know, a scientific endeavor. 
with its roots in psychology and anthropology and sociology. And, you know, most moderators are going to come from a, a social science background, right? And part of the science is uh, to analyze what are subjective insights or data uh, in order to identify patterns, trends, things that would be meaningful to clients and then interpret and deliver upon their meaning. Okay, so I feel like that's the scientific piece of qualitative research. And then there's an art as well. And I don't know that people often think about research as having an artistic uh, component, but it, but it really does. Um, a, a, a successful moderator is going to be an artist in terms of creating rapport for the audience, whoever the audience. And in the, in the world of life science, you know, we're talking about um, patients, providers, payers, uh, pharmacists, so they all seem to be alliteration in P. I'm not sure why, but, you know, to create that rapport where people feel as though they can connect. And these are people who may otherwise never have an opportunity to meet or share divergent points of view. And so the art is really to create a safe space where they feel like they can trust you as a moderator, wherever that space, online or in person, and trust each other and then share. And there is um, ideally the art of uh, an interpersonal relation skill being applied to the research environment, right? Asking the most effective questions to solicit really rich responses and knowing, Chris, how and when to probe for deeper insights. And all the while, the successful moderator is balancing and juggling what are the research objectives uh, you know, is there rapport that, that's being built and established with engaging and interesting conversations? So that was just a little bit of context regarding qualitative research and um, what differentiates it from, from quantitative. So the data doesn't stand in a vacuum. It rather requires um, understanding really the whys and drivers behind what people do and um, for what reasons. And so I, I like that it's, um, you know, you get the numbers from the quantitative side, but you really do want to understand why a significant fraction of people might think in a certain way. And as you said, what are those patterns and what, what motivates people? Because really that's, a, you know, from a marketing perspective, understanding people's motivations is, is huge in how you, not only in what you build, but in how you communicate it, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, with, without the context and without understanding where people are coming from in the decision making, um, a number really is just a number. You don't, you don't necessarily have the ability to have any context around that number, any narrative, any explanation, any motivation. Um, and, and one other thing, Chris, that's interesting. And I, I learned this when I first entered this field, um, it's an acronym that I found really helpful. So in thinking about qualitative research, think about POBAs, and it's not some kind of fraternal organization or anything like that. It's, it's actually an acronym for when you're thinking about people's relationship and you're trying to gain insights about a product, a service, um, uh, interactive media, some kind of app, whatever it is that you might be testing, you want ideally to get to the POBAs. So 
the heart of qualitative research is getting to the perceptions that your research audience is going to have about the research topic. The O represents their opinions. The B are beliefs. And then the A are the attitudes. And if your listening audience can come away really focused on this acronym, that's the goal of qualitative research is, is to get to the poll buzz about whatever it is you're trying to research and understand. It, it seems like if um, without the qualitative research, you might draw the wrong conclusions from your quantitative research. Is that true? Is that one of the benefits? Certainly. I mean, a lot of people choose and there are occasions where doing quantitative alone is very appropriate. A lot of clients will start with qualitative research to generate hypotheses that are then tested in a quantitative survey, for example. And when you have a quantitative survey and a representative sample in terms of numbers, you can generalize findings to that particular research audience or population. And oftentimes, we will do a survey, look at the numbers, and then want to understand the whys and the hows behind it. So we can look at the findings from a survey and then conduct qualitative research to really get to those pulbas and understand why people have said, you know, yes, I'd be interested in buying that product, or I choose this particular price range for this um, subscription service, for example. So doing it in and of itself, quantitative research sometimes has very, you know, oftentimes has very, very useful applications. But if you're looking for the uh, motivations and the hows and the whys, you're not going to get that from quantitative alone. Okay. Got it. And so it sounds like you could do qualitative before or after quantitative, depending on your, your process, whatever you're trying to get at. Exactly. And um, I, I think that, you know, different research objectives will um, will dictate whether it makes more sense to do the quantitative survey before or after. And a lot of clients are putting together myriad methodologies and doing hybrids of qualitative, quantitative, and then, you know, several methodologies even within a qualitative on a particular study. Okay. So what are the, you mentioned before, online and in person. I mean, I guess those are the two of the different ways. Are there other ways to gather qualitative data? So probably the most familiar um, is focus groups. And focus groups can be done along with all of these other methodologies that I will uh, just quickly list online, in person, on the phone or a combination thereof. So you have focus groups and then you have what's known as in-depth interviews and those can be done one-on-one -on -one with two, three people. There are ethnographies and those are done in the natural environment where a product or a service is being uh, consumed or a particular behavior uh, is being conducted. There's also usability testing or user experience sessions. And then there are all different types of methodologies that have been emerging in recent years that are specific to the online world. And the two main things you need to know about that are these methods can be either synchronous, that is real time, 
or asynchronous non-real-time. And there are many different forms of gathering online qualitative research that are really leveraging the uh, advantages of technology, especially uh, mobile devices. Nice. So just for my knowledge, and I'm sure some other folks, when you say ethnography, what does that mean exactly? Basically, an ethnography is an interview, a qualitative session that happens in, in, a, in the environment where the research topic is most relevant. So, for example, we were interested in observing the workflow of um, some bench scientists who were working at a central laboratory in order to make that process to optimize it in terms of, of, of efficiency and interaction with a particular online system. So we went there um, and we were able to observe them real time. And an ethnography is a particularly effective means of identifying pain points and unmet needs, which yeah. can then lead your clients to think about different uh, ways to improve upon or um, innovate on existing products and services. Got it. Yeah. So now, now I have a much clearer picture. It's almost a it's an anthropological study of how, for example, of how somebody does their work. Exactly. Or how somebody consumes a particular product or service or interacts with, an, with a new app in, in an environment where they might be, you know, uh, interacting with that particular, uh, that app. Right. So it right. is definitely um, anthropological, you know, it has its, uh, its roots in anthropology. Yeah. And, yeah. um yeah, it's just a great way to see people in, in a natural environment. Okay. So you had mentioned um, focus groups before in the context of 50 people. And I, I know we're not talking now about a 50-person um, focus group, but probably more on the order of six to eight or 10 people maybe. And so given that that's such a small sample size, how do researchers make sure that the participants – they have cover um, maybe the broad set of POBAs that you're looking for or um, are relevant to the research answers you're trying to get? Yes, it's a really important question, Chris. And the starting point for this is a document that we use in our industry called a screener. And a screener is a set of questions that – determines whether or not that particular person is going to be the right person with whom to speak on, on the study. And it can consist of all different kinds of questions, um, behavioral, attitudinal, demographics, to make sure that you're getting the right mix. And, and quite frankly, who you need to get really depends upon the research objective. But the different ways to do it are your market research vendor or the company, the strategy firm that you're hiring to help you with your study should have in-house recruiting. Um, so a lot of times we'll have our own databases of people who may be relevant from which to pull. And then we will have a field manager designated to put that screener into action, right? And to, and to start recruiting participants for participation. A lot of times, depending on the audience, you can also commission a recruiting company. I would just say, so you have the screener, you have your own in-house field manager, 
then they're also professional recruiting companies that the firms like us will hire as part of the overall project if we lack the in-house capabilities or expertise for that particular recruiting need. And I guess I would just add, Chris, that it's it's important to think about the represent the representation that you're getting if you're doing, for example, a focus group. A typical focus group these days is, is six to eight. Some companies are opting to do mini groups of, uh, of four to six. Some, you know, maybe going up to 12, although less so these days. So it's important um, to think about getting a really nice mix, knowing that you have a specific audience need in mind within that. If it's, for example, um, a business to business study, think about getting different kinds of companies or different sizes of companies in there. It's really important to think about the sample and to be pretty vigilant um, in monitoring that because you want, you want to maximize the insights that you're gathering on the study because the that's money that's being spent. So the people who are being recruited need to be the exact right people and um, and a really good vendor is going to take care of that for your client. Yeah, that's nice to know that uh, the burden isn't on your client, for example, to pick the people that are going to participate in the study and that there are actually experts like yourself or recruiting companies who have massive databases to pull from to get that um, relevant and um, diverse set of opinions. Absolutely. And in almost every study in which I've been involved, that, that recruiting piece is handled by us, by the vendor, not by the client. Do know that the client can provide the vendor with internal lists of audience or contacts who may be appropriate for that study. And then again, the onus is upon the vendor to make sure that they're getting that, that right mix um, and that right sample because qualitative research provides directional feedback. It's not generalizable to that entire research audience or universe at large like quantitative research would be. Right. Makes total sense. So let's, let's talk about what the process of a focus group looks like. Um, Milana, are you trying to start a discussion and just have the people in the group, you know, talk amongst themselves or get in, in answers directly from individuals? Is it a little bit of both? What, is it, what does it look like if, if we're, we're conducting a focus group? Mm-hmm. So I do think that it's a little bit of both. And if so in addition to a screener, these may be new, new terms for the listening audience. The screener is the document that is used as a questionnaire for recruiting the appropriate, relevant, and uh, well mix of uh, respondents to participate in the research. The discussion or moderator's guide, if it's well-crafted, Chris, is going to yield exacting answers. So good qualitative research is going to create a dynamic discussion and exchange of ideas with you as the moderator at the helm, uh, managing the time, ascertaining that the research objectives are being met, 
and all the while, again, making certain that you've got that art of moderating down in terms of engaging your respondents and, and, and urging them to go deeper about the topic of focus and maybe bringing them to new places of discovery. So if it looks like a serial Q&A, What's your favorite thing about this? What do you like? What don't you like? Da, da, da. If, if it sounds like that, that is, that is a, a, a non-effective focus group and probably a moderator who you shouldn't hire again. The best compliment that I ever received as a moderator is a client who came to me and said, you know, it felt just like we were sitting around um, a dinner table and having a conversation with these industry experts. And it felt... So you want to make certain that you you are bringing your humanity in and having a conversation. The guide that you've created in advance that's often approved and, and sometimes even created in collaboration with your client is going to have everything that you want to cover. But it is just a guide. So I tell people to eat the guide, right, in, in training and in moderating. You want to eat the guide and then um, – Let's say nicely you want to um, <laughs> regurgitate it and assimilate it in, in such a way that the questions and the content, it's, it's known. And then you're able to have a conversation about it. At the same time, you're dealing with the group dynamic, for example, in a focus group. So there could be a dominant person or an evangelical person or a very timid person. An effective moderator is somebody who is who has assimilated that guide and all of the content and the questions and the probes that need to be asked, thinks well on their feet, is flexible to go in different directions, and yet keep everybody on track. Try to solicit information and insights and comments from those who are less talkative and perhaps manage those who are dominating the conversation. So the answer to your question is it, it is a bit of both. Your discussion guide is going to have the content and the questions. And um, as you're moderating the discussion, you're ideally going to create a rich, dynamic discussion and exchange of ideas that may take you to even new places, not on the guide, but yet still relevant. Yeah, no, that's neat. I like, I like the sitting around the dinner table kind of maybe the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it gets turned up a little bit. It's nice to turn it up. I mean, I think when you get people representing different, if it's a business-to-business -business study, different companies, or patients coming from different life experiences, or whoever, you know, whoever the research audience, having the different points of view is what makes it so engaging and what makes it so interesting in exchanging ideas because somebody may hear something from another person and then oh, wow, that just sparked a new idea um, in me. Or, you know what, I challenge you. And that's, that's, where, that's where the richness lies, is having the conversation go deep while the moderator is managing the time and managing the research objectives. Yeah? Nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. So can you give me an example of a use case for qualitative research that people should be considering even though they typically don't. I mean, I don't know, you know, some companies might do this frequently. Some companies may have never done it at all. And some companies, I guess I'm thinking about a, a situation where a company goes, I didn't know I could find out the answer to that question or something like that. 
I, I think that your question was more about also, uh, Chris, maybe usages outside of what might be the marketing and sales aspect, but still relevant, I believe, to your listening audience in terms of running effective companies. And I would say that the skills of, of, of a qualitative researcher, a moderator, right, the one that's tapped into the artistry of it, along with the training and the skills and meeting of the research objectives, is using the skills internally. There are a couple of, of, of examples that I wanted to, uh, to enumerate here. So if you can use qualitative insights and skills to interact with customers on a regular basis, finding out and gaining feedback about whatever it may be, operations, HR, assays, ways to more efficiently, uh, you know, run the, run the company or improve on products. Uh, that's, that's a, a wonderful skill. And that sometimes requires training of people to get qualitative insights out of their customers regularly, gauging satisfaction, gauging experience. Many, many companies these days are using qualitative research and, and employing online communities or panels. And these are people who are often prepaid consumers or uh, stakeholders, thought leaders, to share their opinions on a regular basis. They may be incentivized or paid, as I said, financially. And those are wonderful opportunities to use qualitative research and skills with people on an ongoing basis. And that way you're getting regular feedback. So it's an application of qualitative research that a lot of companies we found, especially in the life science industry, don't don't implement, and it's a missed opportunity. I love it. So you've recruited people who say, "I'm willing to give you feedback on an ongoing basis. You're going to compensate me in some way, but I'm going to sign up for your community, and and then you can tap into my opinions over time." Exactly right. And it, it is proving, it, it's almost proving to be game changers for many companies in terms of the feedback that they're garnering from these communities. And, um, you know, the, it, the retention is pretty high, but once there's drop-off, you can, you can bring in new people. You can even get subsets of the community and address particular studies or research needs to that, to that particular group within. So, yeah, it's a great... It's a great um, application of qualitative research, Chris. And right. most often these communities are online panels. They call them MROCs, Market Research Online Communities, or expert panels. Most typically it's online, but people also will bring them in. Um, we just did something with a large media company. They'll bring them right into the company, sit them down, and, and, and have an internal focus group with these customers or opinion makers so so yes it's, it's been a it's been a really helpful application of the same qualitative research skills fantastic so now let's tell me uh once the research is done what do the deliverables look like what do i get back i've i've hired someone like you we've done the research um what am i looking at to make my decisions on yeah it's great so there are um, actual artifacts that you can receive as a result of the research and in almost every case there's a recording 
Uh, obviously, you need to tell the respondent that you're being recorded. It's an ethical requirement in our industry. And if you are able to capture video, I think that's wonderful because, you know, the picture is worth a, a, a thousand yeah. words. And if you're able to put together maybe a, you know, quick uh, highlight of some of the findings, one of the artifacts or deliverables can be a, uh, just the video itself or our companies and companies like us can put together a highlights video. The primary deliverables, in addition to the audio or video recordings or anything that's uh, done before in the form of homework or during the research itself, Chris, from the research company, you will get a report. And that report can be an executive summary or a top-line report. And these things are all decided in advance and, you know, as part of the budget. You could get a comprehensive PowerPoint report uh, with verbatims, which are direct quotes taken from the research. Uh, and then oftentimes there are presentations. Those are over the phone. Those are in person of the research findings. A lot of times we follow that up with, okay, so now what? Yeah, we have the, we have the research. We have the data. We have your report. It's great. Can you help us? And sometimes we'll then go in and almost do like a workshop with the stakeholders and um, give them tools and what we call uh, different projective techniques about what to do next. And there are myriad examples of creative ideas, storyboarding, uh, taking the findings and then implementing them, putting them into next steps and the like. So those are the deliverables um, that, that you can receive. There's also a lot of times people will ask for the raw data that's sometimes recorded and just could be anything from an Excel spreadsheet to these really sophisticated um, analytical tools. But the primary deliverable uh, would be a report, either an executive summary or you know a, a, a full report in Word or PowerPoint and then followed up by a presentation and maybe some workshopping as, as well. Right. The workshopping part or the what next part is the most surprising part of that answer to me because I would not have – I didn't even think about that, honestly. I thought it would be up to my company to draw the conclusions from the data that you provide me, but obviously there's value in having someone who's – seen people produce answers <laughs> to explain kind of how you can use those going forward. Yeah, you know, even I think I think what what's effective about that is not it, it yes, of course the research company has been in the field and they've conducted it and they've seen it, but imagine different stakeholders, different departmental interests in in the meeting and um, having a facilitator come in yeah. and, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily about that particular qualitative research. It could be any kind of internal meeting. It's about helping to formulate the best questions and have people empathize with the other department's needs, priorities, points of view, and helping them as a team get to the next steps and, and hear the answers and, and listen and make sure that the different points of view are being heard and respected and then using some of the same skills as a qualitative researcher and a moderator 
to yeah. help them in, in those um, debrief or workshopping scenarios. I love it. All right. So uh, let's finish up with this. What uh, should companies be thinking about if they're considering, you know, looking for someone to help them with qualitative research? Yeah, so I would certainly ask questions of companies. What's typical in our industry is to solicit three proposals. Not everyone does that. People have their preferred vendors, and they will just reach back out to them when a research need um, avails or when it presents. Sometimes it's up actually to the, the research company to reach back out and, and follow up because a lot of times, we do the research, and um, then there isn't that benchmarking or the follow-up. So what was the experience like now? Um, so the questions that I would ask of, of the firms uh, would be, what is your experience in, in this particular space or in on this particular subject, if it's a, you know, a disease state, for example, or working in drug development? I would... Um, I would tell your your audience to ask them about what are their methods for recruiting to ascertain that they are getting the right people. Do they maintain internal databases or do they outsource the recruiting to um, to to a, a larger recruiting company? And what is the training and experience of the people who are going to be moderating? Could they supply some blinded sample reports? And ideally, also some blinded projects, case studies that are similar in in scope and in approach, and ideally even content to the research that they're seeking to conduct. Excellent. Now that that all makes great sense, and again, things that you might not have thought of unless you do this regularly. Mm-hmm. So, Alana Drucker, this has been really informative. I've learned a lot. I know the audience has learned a lot, and uh, hopefully it will make them think a little bit more about how they can use qualitative research and how what they need to do to get you know, usable answers, things that uh, are true and will make a difference for, for whatever they're trying to accomplish. How, how can people um, – where should people go to find out more about you? Oh, uh, thank you for asking. So I, I have a LinkedIn profile, uh, Ilana Drucker, and uh, you're also welcome to visit our website. It's uh, www.scorpioresearch.com. Excellent. So as always, I will put those links both to your LinkedIn profile and Scorpio Research in the show notes so people can find them there easily. Ilana Drucker, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, Chris. I enjoyed it and uh, hope it proves helpful indeed. Oh, definitely. There you have it, folks. The art and science of understanding why your customers feel the way they do and why they do the way they do. As always, really appreciate your listening to the podcast. If you have some feedback for me, guests you'd like to hear from, topics we ought to cover, send an email to chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com and as always uh, would very much appreciate it if you would tell two of your friends about the show I will talk to you in a couple of weeks bye bye